Hola, and welcome to Latino Book Chat. I am your host, Cristian Meneses Jacobs. We invite you to participate in our conversations with Latino authors, illustrators, and others who share their insights into the book publishing industry. Author Terry Catasus Jennings came from Cuba to the United States in 1961 when she was 12 years old. With The Little House of Hope, she tells an inspiring story of how immigrants can help each other find the support they need as they establish a new home in a new country. Beautifully illustrated by artist Raul Colon, the book humanizes the stories of many refugee families and touches on the many complicated reasons as to why people leave their homelands. Raul Colon is an award-winning illustrator of over 30 books. He's an accomplished and acclaimed artist and the recipient of the 2021 Eric Carly Honor and a Pura Belbra Award for Doña Flor. He has illustrated Jill Biden's book, Don't Forget, God Bless Our Troops, Jose Born to Dance by Susanna Reich, Angela's Christmas by Frank McCord, and many, many more. Latino Book Chat welcomes Terry Catasus Jennings and Raul Colon. Thank you for chatting with us today. Hello, thank you. Thank, thank you for having us. We're yeah, delighted. I'm so excited. In the Little House of Hope, we find out that the main character, Esperanza, and her family were forced to leave Cuba and search for a house to call their own. How do you identify with Esperanza? Um, very much, very much. Esperanza is, Esperanza's story is my story. We were forced to leave Cuba because Castro put my dad in jail during the Bay of Pigs invasion. Mm. Uh, and for about three days, we didn't know where he was and people were, you know, surrounded our house and were yelling, paredón, paredón, hoping oh, wow. that he would be killed. So he was able to get out of jail, thank God. And so when we did, when he did, we we had to leave. And I think we put in applications everywhere. I don't know how many places we put in applications, but the United States was the first one. So when we came to the United States, uh, we were very lucky that we had an uncle who opened up his house to us. His family opened up their house their home. And so we weren't homeless and we had a place to live and we had food. And so then my father could start looking for jobs and everything. So that was, that was what allowed us to begin to, to thrive in this country. So I will never forget that. Um, and that, and that is very, you know, that is a very usual story. Correct. I, it happens all the time. Uh, so some cousins join Esperanza and her family, then a family from Mexico, and then many more people come. And like the story says, families came and families went. Situation reflect, you know, your own experience, like when you were living with your aunt and uncle. That that was exactly where the way it was. We uh, in in La Casita de Esperanza, unas. Um, one, uh, one of the families li lives in the garage. So my aunt's brother and his wife and baby lived in the garage. My mom and dad slept on the couch in the uh, living room. The girls slept in one room, the boys slept in another room. And when we left, another family moved in. And when they left, another family moved in. It was just the way that they were. It absolutely reflects the way that our uh, immigrant experience was. And it's it's often the way that, like you said, Christiana, it's often the way that an immigrant experience happens because you don't have any resources. Yeah, and it sounds like your uncles, I was like a revolving door, people it coming was. and going. 
It was. It wasn't that fast, though. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that fast. We stayed there for about a year, and other people stayed there for a long, you know, a long period of time until you could get on your feet. Oh wow! So well, we that that is amazing. That that's wonderful. Wow. Yeah, because you know, like the parents do have a job and be able right. to support the family. Yeah, on right. their own. Where was this, uh, Perry? Was this in Florida that you went? It was. To? It was in Largo, Florida. Was this a very big Cuban community there? Not at all. No, not mm-hmm. at all. We were the only Cuban family there. Raúl, when do you, when do you start drawing and thought about becoming a children's book illustrator? Uh, well, I can't remember <laughs> <laughs> why. Because uh, as as any child, you know, we we, we start drawing very young, and uh, I just drew all my life. Basically, um, I don't know how well I drew, obviously, as a kid. <laughs> But uh, I, I do remember that I, uh, I was in the living room of my house. That's, I'm trying to think of the, I, I do this when I visit schools. So I, I tell the children that uh, the scene I remember the farthest back is uh, me in the living room of my apartment in New York my, with my parents. And I had a bunch of papers on the floor. And I was trying to draw these like toy trucks I had that looked mm. like those 16 wheelers or those big giant trucks yeah and that's the first drawing i kind of remember trying to put together on a piece of paper and i you know i drew comic books i drew everything i saw that caught my eye my even in my my school the the books i got in school my sister was older so she would get the better books with better illustrations (laughs) as far as i was concerned so i would take her books and try to draw what i saw and and uh, the illustrations were a lot better i thought so uh that also helped me read too because i would read these stories sometimes my and she was about four years ahead of me i would read her stories and so I, both went together story and drawings and then i tried to draw my own comic books and write them yeah. so all my life i've been drawing now the children's part came much later after i had become a freelance illustrator i was i left new york went to puerto rico and then after high school i came back when I was here to work as a freelance artist in New York, I did a lot of uh, editorial work in the New- in the New York Times. And uh editor called me one day and offered me a manuscript based on what she saw I did for the New York Times. That was my first book. I said yes. She said yes after I proved that I could draw a picture <laughs> that looked like a picture book, a story, uh, illustration. And uh, that's it. She offered oh, wow. me my first manuscript. And I... From then on, I started doing also children's books. And now, basically, most of my work is that. Oh, wow. So you're pretty much self-taught, huh? Uh, Yes, I did study commercial art in high school in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. Uh, The government, the uh, federal government had a uh, program where you could study, you know, some kind of craft or anything while you were still in school. So in high school, for three years, I took commercial art. But that was it. After I got out of high school... I just ended up uh, working in graphic departments at a university. And then in Florida, I moved to Florida first when I came back to the States. And I worked at an educational television station at the graphics department. And that's where I learned everything I needed to learn. Yeah, you know, I have seen several of your books and they are just beautiful. You are so talented. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, thank you. They're just beautiful (laughs) illustrations. It's It's amazing. So how did you come to collaborate with Terry in bringing the Little House of Hope to life? What was the extent of your collaboration? 
Well, uh, Terry will tell you <laughs> the, the one person who uh, does that for us, both of us, and this happens mostly with, with every book, is the editor. So whoever's editing the book who's in charge of that um, usually picks an illustrator to uh, marry to the uh, writer. And that's how it was. My editor sent me a manuscript and I... Uh, through my agent, obviously. Yeah. If I agree to it, then uh, I illustrate it. And uh, Terry's story was compelling enough for me to say yes. And that's how we, we started our, our working together. However, Terry will probably tell you how much the collaboration was. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I, uh, so I was delighted when Neil Porter, Neil Porter's our editor. Mm -hmm. And when Neil said that Raul was going to uh, be the illustrator for the book. Of course, I'm over the moon, right? Yes. <laughs> Puerto Belpre winner, what else do you want, right? Yeah. So, but we did not get to collaborate. Perhaps if it had been someone other than Raul, I might have said something, but everything that I got was amazing. So I didn't, I, I didn't even have to, to say anything. There, there was one time in which I thought, hmm, these people, they don't look real. Uh, they don't look shabby. <laughs> I thought that they would look shabby in the beginning and then get better. And then Neil tells me, no, Raul and I thought that they should have dignity. And I thought, oh, okay, that makes sense. I, they should have dignity. So, and it was, it was, it, it, it was perfect the way that Raul did it. And uh, there's a, uh, there's a picture in here that um, the man looks very much like my father. Of course, Raul I read her mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because there's no pictures of him out on the internet, right? So, but but yeah, it's very much for the for the author. It's very much a uh, wait wait and see and and be happy. And whenever you, whenever I got something from Raúl, I started crying tears of uh, of joy. So it was uh, yeah, it was an amazing uh, non collaboration. <laughs> yeah. It and the truth, that's the way it is in most of the industry. Um, very few writers and artists really get together to collaborate. The editors like it that way. They feel the oh, yeah. creativity flows much better. Uh, the writer does his thing or her thing, and the illustrator does his or her thing. And, and then, then they put them together. Get, yeah, and right. then you finally get to meet each other. Huh? Uh, right. Yeah, and right. some articles I've never met. I know them from emails. That's about it. Oh, wow. So, okay. yeah. But in our case, we met, and I've met others, but not all the time. The way you need to think about it is that if I were to, to dictate how Raul does things, and it's only my intelligence that's uh, contributing to this. But this way, my intelligence is contributing in, from, you know, from one hand. Raul's intelligence is contributing from the other hand. And then Niels was coming you know, on the top and melding these things together. So mm. I think more more of the time, the whole is bigger than its parts. It's the right way to do it. However, it's not dictatorship either. I mean, if Terry had, <laughs> no, 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 if no. Terry had something to say, well, we would well, have to true. consider it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's true. That, yeah. uh, that can happen. Also. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's important because it, it, they're her words, right? And you're trying to... Exactly. Take those words into real pictures. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So I think our listeners might be familiar with Pat Mora's book, Tomas and the Library Lady, that you illustrated. Yes. Yeah. So you're famous for your watercolor technique. And that is, I love that book. You know, your illustrations convey so much depth. 
like I feel like they leap off the page and do not stand still or or lie flat. Can you tell us a little bit about how you use this technique to achieve that? Oh, okay, sure. Um, I'll describe it. It's kind of nice to describe it in words so that they can't really see it unless they go into the book. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, um, it's something that developed through the years. When I decided to do freelance illustration, uh, at first I used to do a lot of stuff in colored pencil or pastels, and I didn't want to smudge the art or have it smudged. Uh, pastels was not a good idea. Plus, I, I used to have uh, asthma as a kid, and uh, I always thought the dust might be a little problem. So I chose to work with watercolors underneath the colored pencils to speed things up so I could fill in more space quicker. And uh, through the years, I developed this uh, technique where I used watercolor as an underpainting. And on top, I used a lot of uh, layers of colored pencil. But other times, I just use pen and ink and watercolor. And other times, I just use colored pencils on colored paper. So, but those are the basic two, the two basic uh, mediums, watercolor and colored pencil. And the texture of the paper was another thing I discovered through the years. I, the different papers I tried out to give it certain texture. And I also found an instrument by accident. This is the way art works. You find things by accident and then voila, you get yeah. an idea. <laughs> and I found this instrument that is used for another type of art, which is called a scratch board. I etch into the paper with it to oh, form certain lines and stuff and give texture. Yeah, I noticed so all that. that. Yeah, all that is what combined. And it took years to figure this out, doing this over and over. And I did different jobs, obviously, using that until I perfected it as much as I could. And yeah, that's what I, I use today. I guess as an artist, you keep experimenting, right? Yeah, you know, you never stop. That yeah. this is why uh, today they have artificial intelligence. Are you trying to do AI art? I heard and, that. Yeah, I don't know. The human being is always experimenting, trying different things, and uh, I don't see how that's gonna help out create new things because a lot of my colleagues do that too they they experiment all the time so it's so it's, it's good to have a brain a real one having accidents that's the important thing making yeah. mistakes and then finding something new see i feel like maybe an artist a real artist a human being gives it more life to the art like i like it feels real yeah like, let's hope let's hope uh People mm. realize that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's helpful. So, Terry, at the beginning of the book, you have an author's note that says you wrote this story with anger and pride. And I think that our listeners would probably be interested in learning what prompted you to sit down and write The Little House of Hope. Tell us that about was, that story. Yeah, thanks for asking that. A realtor friend that I know um, and this person has known me for a long time. He told me once that he never rented to Latin people and uh, because they always tore the house and they, because they always lived three or four families to a house. And I got really angry about that. I thought, you know, how could you say that in front of me? Mm -hmm. And you know, I have a tendency to stew over things. And I stewed over that and chewed on it for a long time. And then all of a sudden, I remember, wait a minute, you were one of those families that people that lived three families to a house, and you never tore up the house. The house was just as good a condition when the whole, you know, everybody left as it was when, when they rented it. And, and besides, 
like we were speaking about before, living two or three families to a house sometimes for an immigrant family is the only way that they can survive. It's the only way that they can get by. I wanted to show that. I wanted to show young readers that so that they don't grow up with those same, same biases and that when they grow up, they are understanding of people that come from other countries and what they're going through. And, and not only what they go through before, when they're coming to the United States, what ha- what makes them come to the United States, but also how difficult it is once they are in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because those kind of biases make people feel hopeless and dehumanized. Right. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And that's what I always try to do. Now, let's make sure that we can find our common humanity. We're all human beings. It doesn't matter the color of our skin, where we come from. We're all human beings, and in the end, we want we all want and need the same things. And uh, the other thing that I wanted to show was how much a little bit of help can, how far a little bit of help can go in helping in uh, making a family's life and future be better. And also, it could probably be useful so for non-Latino children to learn about this story. Absolutely. That was, to be honest with you, that was who I was targeting was more the non-Latino children, because obviously we all know that we are poor when we come from the, from somewhere else. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, and we know the reasons why we come, but I was targeting non-Latino children, kids that have had it better and have been here all along and they need to understand so that when they're older, they understand. I even have thoughts that I'm going to influence somebody that's going to make a law someday that's going to help immigrants. Even if it's just one person, right? Right, right. It would take so much. Have you been touring around the country and reading to kids uh, about your book? Or have you had the opportunity yet? I have been reading to kids about my book in my local area Mm -hmm. a lot more, doing a lot of author visits. Around the country, I have been speaking to teachers more than to um, more than to students. But yes, it's and it's been, you know, it's been very well received. I think kids understand. They understand once they read the book, they understand what immigrants go through. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what was the reaction from the children? That's important. It has been very positive. It has mm-hmm. been very, very positive. All the, the the kids get it, and I and it's a, my author visit is very interactive. What would you feel if you didn't have a place to live? How would you feel if someone uh, helped you out? How would you feel? The the most important one is how would you feel if you didn't know a word of another language and you were thrown into that into that country mm-hmm. and didn't have any way to communicate? Yeah. So, yeah, you that know, was, it's like putting them in the shoes of the immigrants, right? Exactly, exactly. I think that that would probably be the way to go in trying to eliminate a lot of biases and discrimination that we immigrants suffer on a daily basis. Right. right? Well, and but, but here's one thing that's ironic. Mm-hmm. They're all immigrants. The children yeah. who are... <laughs> exactly. They're, exactly. You know, there are grandparents or whatever, or immigrants. Right. I mean, they, and if you read the stories... Yeah. Right. We if we think of history, that the Chinese went through this. Mm-hmm. When they first came. The German immigrants right. who came. The Italians went through it. The Italians. The, the Italians, but the Irish got the it. Irish. The Irish. Oh, yeah, the Irish. They were the worst. Oh yeah. They had it bad, 
And they right. went through the same thing. People hated them. They, they didn't want them here. There were too many living together in the Lower East Side in New York. Right. Same thing right. when when the uh, Eastern Europeans came, and especially the Jewish community and the Lower East Side also. Yeah. They all lived like with 20 people in one little tenement right. building in New York. So they all went through the same thing. Right. And now that their, you know, their par- grandparents, their great grandparents came, now the kids today kind of forgot about that. So right. now we're the uh, Latinos. Now we're it's our turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, but they went through it themselves. Their families. So yeah, they seem it's good to remind them. them. Yeah, we we got to remind them. You you went through that. Your maybe your great grandfather, right, had the same problems and had to live with twenty other families. You know. And uh, this is what this book brings that back. I think it helps them understand right. that. Yeah, that's true, because I remember, and I asked one of the students, so where is your family originally from? Oh, we are all Americans. I said, where where are your parents or grandparents or great-grandparents originally from? No, we're Americans. Okay, well, the only Americans are the Native Americans because they were here first. We're all, you know, we all came from somewhere else. And he kept insisting, no, we're, we're Americans. I said, okay. Well, you have to ask another child. Another child might know better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, my grandma, right. father came yeah. from Italy. You know, they, they know. some of them know. Yeah, but yeah. But obviously, exactly. that some children don't. They really think that right. their families have been here all their lives, and they don't know that great-grandpa came from another country. So. And I think that's a, that, that is sad because it's important to know uh, our family history, right? It's yep. important to know where we're from so that we can be proud of ourselves. We can be proud of our culture and our heritage, but not teaching our children where they come from and insisting, oh, no, we are Americans. We have been here. You know, it, it's not <laughs> right. helpful. Yeah. Well, it's not helpful and it's not healthy because what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a plane higher than anybody else. And mm-hmm. um, that's what ends up with biases. Yeah, exactly. Dis- that's discrimination. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. That's what leads to biases and discrimination. That's for sure. Yeah. Terry, are you working on anything new? I am. I am. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of picture books that I have been working on. Some of them are out on submission. I'm working on a novel in verse about the Cuban Revolution. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Uh, so it's for middle graders. That one is is coming along. I always have some kind of project. Uh, I have a an early reader that I'm working on. So I always have three or four things going at the same time. So <laughs> if one, if I have to wait on one for, you know, for something, for a writer's group or for my agent to get back to me, I have something else to work on. You always got to keep producing. You always got to keep writing. I can't not write. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of authors say that they keep they need to keep producing is like something that it, they feel that they have to do is like their calling, right? You know, their vocation. Yeah. What about you, Raúl? Are you working on anything new? Yes, I am. I am um, supposed to be working on uh, on a book that kind of got sidetracked a little bit. They want to make some rewrites. Talking about collaboration, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I did all the sketches and then. We're on hold now, but I also have two books coming up and uh, that I have to work on. So I'm always busy. And you are right, uh, Terry, you do this. Uh, it's like breathing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's right. uh, you have to breathe. Right. Artists, that's it. They breathe what they do. It, it's what keeps us alive in, in a way. 
So it's right. not just work for us. It's, it's, we need to do it. Right. Absolutely. It's your passion. It's your love. So, Terry, I know you prepare a scene from your book to read for us. Well, sure. All right. You ready? Yes. All right. It was a little house, una casita, when Esperanza and Manolo and Mami and Papi came to the United States from Cuba, they looked and looked for a place where they could live that didn't cost too much money. And then they found it. It was small. It smelled like old, wet socks. It had rickety, tattered furniture from a church basement. But even though they were far from home, the family was together. They were safe. They were happy in La Casita. What do you think? Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> La Casita, La Esperanza, Hope. I love the double meaning there, you know. The book is Little House of Hope and the Spanish version, La Casita de Esperanza by Terry Catasus Jennings, illustrated by Raul Colom. There is an educator's guide at holidayhouse.com. I have one copy of the book in English and one in Spanish. Participate in the book giveaway by subscribing to Latino Book Chat on your favorite streaming platform. Send me a screenshot of your subscription as your entry. You can submit your entry via Instagram or Twitter at Latino Book Chat. Terry and Raul, thank you so much for chatting with us today on Latino Book Chat. It has been such a pleasure to have you both on the show. Thank you for having us. Gracias. Thank you for joining us today. Visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at latinobookchat.com. Please subscribe on your favorite platform. Whatever you're listening to us today, please give us a positive review and as many stars as possible. Sharing the show will help it grow and continue to come to you. Thank you for your support. Hasta pronto. Latino Book Chat is a production of Nicagal Media. Today's episode was hosted, produced, and edited by Christian Meneses Jacobs.